You're going to hear it, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it. But we're also going to be reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to listen with your ears carefully, because they're the same and different. And that's what I want to say just a bit about before I start reading. Christians have had a habit of merging all the Gospels into one thing. Well, it ain't so. All you have to do is look at the pages. It ain't so. And there's beauty in the difference. And there's beauty in the sameness. And it's both there. Remember, in the first century, not only was there no internet, thank goodness, uh, and no, there was no printing press. There was no book bindery. So if you wrote something, there was one copy of it. And if somebody else wanted a copy, then someone had to sit down and write that over by hand. What we do know, or appears that way from looking at the actual manuscripts we have, is that in different communities among Christians, and they were spread out from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, um, people wrote down their accounts about Jesus. And they wrote it from that community's understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. So Matthew's community and Mark's community and Luke's community and John's communities were not the same. And they may not have even known each other's works, at least not at the beginnings, because how are you going to get it distributed? You can't go to Amazon. It's just not, not going to work that way. What we think happened and this is scholars working carefully with texts and analyzing them, the kind of thing I've done all my life. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, there are several things that tell us it's the earliest Gospel. And so if you want to know what the first one was, read Mark. It doesn't come first in your bound Bible, but it was probably first. And when you read it, what you may want to know is that I think there were some copies made. And it looks like the writers of Luke and Matthew had a copy of Mark. And they cheated. They plagiarized. They wrote it down directly, almost, except when we had some differences. And so we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke synoptic gospels because they share these things together. And it is pretty clear that, that Mark is there inside Matthew and Luke. It's also clear that Matthew and Luke had sources other than that. So that some of the parables, I mean, some of our favorite parables are only in Luke, for instance. Matthew didn't know about them. I think he would have used them because they're darn good, like the prodigal son. And uh, Mark didn't seem to know about them. And John, John's another story. John's weird. John's not part of the synoptic tradition. John, I think, had visions in his head. And he gives us a more theological reading of everything. And so John is always, even if it's the same event, John's going to be a little different. His community had a, a more advanced, shall we say, a more thoughtful understanding of the events. Mark's just said, this happened. John said, and this is why it's important. So I thought you needed to know that before we read the baptism of Jesus from all four of them. It's not long in any of them, so we'll start with Mark, since Mark is probably first. 
Just a note, Mark does not have a Christmas story. So the earliest church, that wasn't important enough to write it down. There are all kinds of theories about why Luke has the Christmas story we know. Among them, most gods had miraculous births. And our God didn't in Mark. But by the time we get to Luke, we got one. And you can decide what you want to make of that. Matthew doesn't have the same account of the birth that Luke does. In Matthew, there's no manger. There's no shepherd. There are no angels. In Matthew, we go straight to the Magi who go to a house in Bethlehem. And so it's important to read all of them, right? Don't just merge them together. Figure out why this matters one way and the other way and the other. I think they all have truth. They may all not be all the same fact, but they all have truth for us to hear. So this is what Mark has to say about the baptism. And it's the first thing in Jesus' life that's important to Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn open and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Matthew embroiders a bit more and says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented it. Mark doesn't know about that. Saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. That's enough to reflect on yourself. Then Jesus consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, it sounds like Mark, just as they came up from the water, Suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice came from heaven. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Go back and study Matthew and see what the difference might be. Why that introduction about between John and Jesus is important. And we turn to Luke. And Luke is very brief. And now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, that's a different thing, the heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And then we go to John. It's a bit longer. And a new phrase is introduced, the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. 
And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. There is a book called Gospel Parallels. Uh, Very interesting. Because it has every account in the Bible from all four Gospels. Or a blank space under Mark if there's nothing there. So that you can see in one book what the similarities are and what the differences are. There certainly is a repeated pattern um, in the Synoptic Gospels, right? We're told one thing again and again, and we'll do that again and again today. But I want to begin by saying good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Happy birthday to you, to me, to Jesus, as we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. It's time for a second Christmas. Or in this case, I would spell it Christ Mass. And maybe suggest that the first one we should call Jesus Mass instead of Christmas. Because it's about the birth of a child. The baptism is about the birth of a Christ. And in some of the earliest communities, certainly Mark's, that's what this was. This is the announcement that this is the Christ. Not all traditions follow that. But I'm going to follow it a bit today. It's a second celebration of the birth of Christ and of yours and of mine. Speaking of my birthday and yours, I'm going to start by asking you all a question. One I know that those at least of a certain age uh, are asked regularly and can answer in their sleep. What's your birthday? On the count of three, I want to hear it from everybody. One, two, three. 12, 20, 42. Very good. And I guess those of a certain age, we say that very often. This pharmacy, that doctor's office, blah, blah, blah. 12, 20. Now, I have another question for you. What's the date of your baptism? One, two, three. I'm going to see the hands of the people telling me. A few of you know. Okay, mine's 10, 21, 53. If you don't know it, you're obviously not alone. Okay? And I challenge you to find it out. And beginning this year, I suggest that you celebrate the affirmation of your birth into the body of Christ your resurrection into the kingdom of God, and through Christ, your walk along the way that is truth and life. Why not enjoy two birthdays in one year? I say, let's party. Okay? I'm going to check back in sometime late in the year and see how many of you have had your second birthday party. Okay. You get that, Carol? My next birthday is 1021. I want a big party. I want a German dinner then, too. 
<laughs> there are many baptismal traditions in Christendom. There's infant baptism, adult baptism by confession. There's sprinkling. I come from the tradition of adult baptism by immersion. And you really need to dunk them good. As a pastor, I've dunked folks in baptistries and bubbling streams, sprinkled them, anointed them. In the spring prior to my own baptism, my church held a revival at which a very popular men's quartet was to sing. And a baptism was also planned. Now our baptistry was a tank that was sunk in the floor between the pulpit and the choir loft. When not in use, it was covered by a trap door. On the evening in question, the choir was extra large. And the chairs extended all the way from the choir loft toward the pulpit. And some were placed in front of the open baptistry. The choir filed in, the quartet at the rear. All went well until splash. <laughs> a misstep by the bass. A tremendous splash. A most unholy baptism and a most nervous laughter as the pastor pulled the dripping six foot two inch bass from the water. At that point, I didn't know what to think about baptism, and I began to push it from my ten-year-old mind. As I did so, I felt parental and community pressure to bring it back to the forefront. Ten-ish was the usual age for baptism in my church. I remember an October evening when I walked back to the house from the milking parlor, it was crisp, it was starry, and I was wondering into the heavens whether I should take the step everyone wanted me to take, or whether it would be a misstep like the base took, a sacred moment or an unholy baptism. I'm not sure of the how and why of my decision, but I presented myself for baptism. Or as my father describes the event in the family Bible, I joined the church. That may well be what I did. Feeling some guilt and pressure, I joined the church and formally accepted my place in the community. Baptism in the Spirit, I'm sure that came much later. But baptized in water, I was. Very few events other than the death and resurrection of Jesus are recorded in all four Gospels. We've already talked about how the birth is only in Luke. The baptism, however, is in Mark, Matthew, Luke, with remarkably same words. We've talked about how that probably comes about. In the case of the baptism, it seems that Luke just copied over the works of Mark with one telling change. And that's true of Matthew. Mark says, and this is the change, Mark says that when Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart. The Greek word is schizo, as in schizophrenic, to tear apart. That's a little bit different than saying the heaven was opened. The heavens were torn apart. I like to read with Mark on this one. Because the distance between heaven and earth goes poof. It's like Jacob's ladder. Mark's word choice is bolder than Luke's and suggests Mark's central good news. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world. 
Indeed, the baptism, the distinction between heaven and earth is torn up and holiness. The kingdom of God is on earth as it is in heaven. It's a big deal. I think Mark is theologically profound. And then all three agree with what follows. The spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Although John's account differs some from the synoptics, he also notes the descent of the Holy Spirit in bodily form and the voice from heaven. You are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The message is clear. God proclaims that Jesus is his son, the beloved, with whom he is well pleased. For some traditions, as I've already said, this is the moment when Jesus becomes Christ the Messiah. For all traditions, this is a most sacred moment when the incarnation of Jesus is proclaimed and affirmed. In a fleshly act, being baptized in water, a moment of awesome holiness happens. The distinction between heaven and earth dissolves. In Jesus' baptism, the kingdom has come and God's will is done. One of the real problems with Christianity in the 20th and 21st centuries, starting in the 19th really, is we moved heaven up there. You ever read the book of Revelation? The last chapters? What does it say about how God is coming? That heaven is coming to earth. I think Karl Marx is right when he said there was a kind of churchly twist of things that taught us to put heaven out there so we could get run over down here. That's not Bible. The Lord's Prayer makes it clear every time we say it, doesn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the breaking in of that is signaled in the baptism of Jesus. At that moment, God's loving presence shouts out to all the assembled at the Jordan, and the words God spoke are clear and repeated in the Gospels. My son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. In the moment of Jesus' baptism, the world was changed forever. Obviously not completely. And the presence of Christ in this world is now with you and with me. We today hear those words through the waters of our baptism. So heard, we also hear the words from Romans 8. Paul writes, All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Daddy, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The words Jesus heard are the words we hear through the waters of our baptism. And I want you to repeat after me with the appropriate gender designation. 
My son, daughter, my son, daughter, go. Now, here we go. My son, my beloved, with you, I am well pleased. Let's do it again. Okay. My son, my beloved, with you, I am well pleased. That's what we said in the baptism to Jesus and to all who are adopted and heirs and children of God. Take that one with you this week. When you begin to think that you are unworthy, that you do not have the power of holiness, and that'll happen, right? Say those words. That's who you are. That's who I am. In our baptism is our borning time. Borning into a life that cannot be erased by sin or by death. I've always had a kind of weird reaction to Christians at times who seem to be terribly afraid of death. It's another sermon, but that's a third birthday. In the early church, that's the way they celebrated a funeral. It was another birthday party. You got three, although that third one's a little hard to dance at. Okay? We're about borning. We're about resurrections. We're about reconciliations and restorations. Paul also writes in Romans 6, do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I preached on this back a couple of months ago, but life is life is life. And once you have that life, death doesn't do anything to it. It can't because life is life. Eternal. A gift. So, happiest birthdays to us all. With the water comes the Spirit, though sometimes the two are years apart. And with the Spirit comes life. Colossians 3 puts it this way. You have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, male, female, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And there's talk about clothing, a little note about early Christianity and the practice of baptism. We know that for the first century Christians, when you were baptized, you were stripped naked. And you were washed in the water. And when you came out of the water, the congregation dressed you in a new white robe. You were clothed in that stuff of the Spirit. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. 
A beautiful ritual, I would think. But I don't think it's too likely to be revived in these times. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a good idea. Uh, we'll talk to Craig about the next Baptist. <laughs> so we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And as we do so, let us claim that baptism in water and the spirit for ourselves. Let us rejoice in God's words about our holiness. We are a son, a daughter, beloved, in whom God is well pleased. That's a phrase again and again, well pleased. We do not have to be something we aren't. God is pleased with you and God is pleased with me. That doesn't mean God's through working on us. But God is pleased. Isn't that the way you respond to little children? They aren't always angels. But aren't you always pleased? A modern way of accepting God's words of holiness, whether you've actually been baptized or not, is to receive the anointing of the Spirit. At the end of the service, just before the benediction, I'll invite any and all of you who would like to do this to come forward and receive an anointing on the palm of your hand, an anointing with frankincense and myrrh. There's no magic in the oil, but there is the sweet fragrance of the presence of the Holy Spirit to be saved through the day. If you rub it on your sleeve, maybe tomorrow too. Amen. Amen.